0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This week, Bishop is joined by special guest Dr. Lance Ritchie from the University of St. Francis for a conversation about how Catholic social doctrine fits in with forms of government like communism and socialism.
1: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop and joining us, we have a special guest, Dr. Lance Ritchie. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Yes. We received a question from a listener recently that asked, I have heard a lot of teens and young adults are supporting the philosophy of Karl Marx and socialism. Can you provide a Catholic response to his ideas? So this was actually kind of a big question decided instead of just spending one minute talking about it, devote an entire episode to the subject. So we have uh, also brought in a special guest, Dr. Lance Ritchie, as I mentioned, who used to teach in the philosophy and theology department at the University of St. Francis, now the vice president for academic affairs, and also just in general a studier of socialism, communism, all of this? I have been. Uh, in graduate school, uh, one of my
0: areas of specialty was 19th century German thought. Karl Marx is a 19th century German philosopher. Uh-huh. Uh, and I I fell into his writings, and I have found him very interesting over the years in an intellectual level for some of his uh, ways of trying to understand the modern world. So I was excited when I – when I got the invitation to come today, I haven't had a chance in my administrative work to think much about that. So I, I thought it would be a nice uh, break from the routine. Good.
2: Yeah, I'm really glad to have Dr. Ritchie here. You know, I uh, when I heard that question, I thought to myself, it would be good to have a guest on who uh-huh. studied this more in depth than I have. Um, I also have an interest, though I've never formally studied much um, this area. Not. Mm-hmm so much marxism but the whole question of the church's teaching in the area of economics sure and i mean marx was more than you know more than about economics however i mean he had a whole philosophy that's problematic in many areas his interpretation of history etc that i'm sure dr Ritchie would be able to explain much better than i but but i have to say that probably what formed me the most in in this whole area is the teaching of pope saint john paul ii and maybe in this discussion we can talk about also some of his teachings about um economics especially issues regarding socialism and capitalism mm-hmm. um and of course he lived under communist mm-hmm. dictatorship but he wrote an encyclical that i think is the best thing i've ever read that kind of helped me to understand the church's principles in the area of economics, and that is Centesimus Annus, which he wrote in 1991, so it was shortly after the fall of communism in Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union, and he, um, it's just a great encyclical to read. Um, But this issue keeps coming up, and we we live in a, a society today that has many challenges, and as the... The listener asked about was young people who are falling into, you know, support for communism mm-hmm. and socialism. And that's a, a big question, of course, because there's different Brands of communism and socialism, and the church really has its its social doctrine kind of touches on uh, addresses these different issues we don't endorse a particular economic system, however, we have ethical moral principles that are really, really important, and I wish we're better known right. uh, by our Catholic people
1: well, and I think maybe some of these look better on paper than they do in practice. And I feel like there are some things about socialism and communism that you might look at some of the the aspects and say, wow, this sounds like a lot like Catholic social teaching and, and how we should be working together and things like that. But in in practice, maybe it takes a different turn. One thing that the, the listener kind of suggested in the question that there's a connection, connecting Karl Marx with socialism. Is that accurate that those two go hand in hand?
0: Um, Karl Marx is one proponent of a version of socialism. Socialism uh, began to be very widely uh, bandied about in the 19th century during the Industrial Revolution with the rise of modern uh, steam power and industry, the rise of the industrial cities. It really was transformative for European society Mm -hmm. for the first time ever – most Europeans began moving into the cities. And with the industrial economy and the current legal systems, you had vast, uh, vast poverty. And one thing I always like to point out uh, when I t- to talk about Catholicism and uh, economics is in America, a lot of our ideas of, of property and of economics really go back, not to the Catholic tradition, they go back to the Scottish Enlightenment of the 17th uh, century, Hmm. Uh, John Locke, Mm -hmm. uh, David Hume, Adam Smith, the English and Scottish Enlightenments, and many good things come out of them, but I think what these historical thinkers lack is what St. Thomas would always refer to, a notion of the common good underlying society. Many of uh, modern American economic theories don't have any room for a notion of the common good that for the natural law tradition, for the medieval philosophical tradition, had to be the cornerstone. Hmm. And when you remove politics and economics from a notion of the common good, you can get exploitation of people. You can get the idea that, well, I pay this worker enough to feed themselves, but not their children. That's their problem. It's simply a transaction between me and the person. And the failure, I think, in the early 19th century for many Christian churches to try and address that led to some of the reactions that gave us Marx and other socialists who called for an abolition of private property and called for an overthrow of the order of society because what they saw was a a system of property and manufacturing that impoverished most people for the benefit of a few rather than serving the common good. Yeah,
2: and you know, um, the church's response uh, became um, very important after the Industrial Revolution, and then these Marxist ideas, etc., and the socialism, socialist ideas, which even preceded Marx. So it was Pope Leo the Thirteenth in 1891 who wrote the encyclical Rerum Novarum, and. It's such an important teaching that's still relevant today, and when you look at all the t- teachings of subsequent popes and even the Second Vatican Council, you see um, the rich thought of, of Leo the Thirteenth. so because of the way socialism was at that time, um, which was a rejection of uh, the right to private property, mm-hmm. he condemned it because we see the right to private property as a natural right. So, when we talk about socialism today, I mean, there's so many different brands of socialism, it's hard to... But that fundamental, if there's a fundamental rejection of the right to private property, that would be against... one of the fundamental liberties of the human person so so that the church is very clear on Mm -hmm. but we don't speak of it in terms of absolute right because as lance just said we also have to be concerned for the common good and therefore there's other uh, principles that need to be looked at and other human rights one of the important principles of catholic social teaching is the universal destination of goods that all of the goods of the earth were created for all Hmm. and then of course we have other principles like subsidiarity and solidarity so these principles and the principle of the common good the importance of of having an anthropological center that's john paul's very strong on that all of this is for the human person and for the dignity of the human person. So any system which violates the dignity of the human person or denies, you know, very fundamental rights like the right of a family to be able to support mm-hmm. itself or, you know, things like the rights of workers to just wages and all of those things um, are really, really important. And so, when you see, when you read Shantesi Musano's of Saint John Paul II, you see where he, um, we're fine with a market economy or a business economy as we have, and and um, but it's not a, an endorsement of a capitalism which just allows the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer Mm -hmm. no we have other responsibilities Mm -hmm. you know we have a responsibility to care for the basic rights of people the right to food for example or health care or so it's pretty complex and you look at the different systems the church doesn't canonize a system Mm -hmm. however it brings these moral and ethical teachings to to um to this so that everything is at the service of the good of humanity, of individuals and communities.
0: I would say, uh, in addition to that, obviously, I mean, one of the great flaws of the Marxist system is that it tends – Marx didn't do this. I would say as a philosopher, I don't think Marx made this mistake. But the Marxist tradition tends to reduce human beings to purely material things who are economic agents. Uh, and it denies any transcendence to the human person, and it denies any meaning or transcendence to history apart from labor, apart from economic activity. It's very reductivist. Hmm. Uh, as you may know, I'm a big fan of Dorothy Day, one of the great, I think, Catholic uh, moral voices of the last century. And she was very critical of communism, And she, but she found also in the West, in many capitalist economies – basically the same project at work of reducing us Mm. to our appetites and our desires and what we can buy and what we can sell. And what the Catholic tradition has always tried to hold is that our labor is both an imposition because of original sin, but also a sharing in God's creativity that labor is intrinsically good, but it serves a higher purpose. And at the end of the day, There's more to the human being than a material thing trying to sustain its material existence. We're spiritual beings trying to realize the image of God both in ourselves and in our relationships with others in society.
1: So, how would you explain the main difference between socialism and communism? I
2: think there's... um,
1: There's probably some common elements,
2: but then there are differences. But I think Lance would answer that better than (laughs) I. I'm going to pass that
0: question. Uh, Well, I think with socialism, what you have is a, a, in its softer senses, for socialists, ultimately, society as a whole or the government has the deciding voice in how the goods of society are distributed to meet ideally the common good socialism in the modern in modern societies doesn't rule out private enterprise but it ultimately subordinates the rights of private enterprise to the power of government to dispose of these goods at the behest of the people usually it does it inefficiently in my opinion Mm. Uh, but with communism there is the belief that private property itself privately held Means of production. I mean, you can have your toothbrush, you can have uh, maybe your car, but those systems and those processes that produce wealth should be owned corporately by society and are ultimately uh, should be owned by the people who actually do the work, the working class. Communism, in the Marxist sense, believes that all of history is a conflict between different social classes, between Mm the feudal class and the peasants, between the slaveholders and the slaves, Mm -hmm. or in the modern world, between the laboring masses and the factory owners. And Hmm. if you look at the whole of history, and in this way there's a little bit of a Christian heresy here, Marxism sees a purpose and a meaning to history, but it's not a working out of God's purposes, it's rather a working out of material processes And at the end of history for the Marxists, we will abolish private property, and by doing that, we'll abolish the social classes that exist because of where they stand within private property ownership or being a servant of it and there'll be a utopia we right. won't have classes we won't have private property the famous formula from each according to his ability to each according to his needs which presupposes we'll have enough to meet everybody's needs uh, and you won't have to make nasty decisions about what if there's not enough to go around
1: so it sounds good
0: it's oh yeah it sounds it sounds wonderful but we it's not been worked out very well yet. <laughs> that, I think that would be an understatement. Uh, looking at the 20th century, is there
1: a potential though that it could be done correctly and done well and reflect our our moral I think teaching? From, I
0: think, from a Catholic perspective, as, as Bishop Rhodes said earlier, it, in principle, it could not because the right to own property is an intrinsic right that comes from what it is to be a human being who's a who's a laboring. Mm-hmm a uh, self-improving being. Socialism is is different. I'm not a proponent of it, but the idea that you have more or less control over private property in service of the common good could be a catholic position, but the idea that private property is theft or is wrong that's, it violates a core teaching of the catholic church and also it violates uh, the principle of subsidiarity mm. ultimately we are social animals our families are our most immediate social circles our immediate community of friends and co-workers and the centralization and the hierarchy that comes from communism turns upside down the natural order and tries to impose from the top a theoretical structure on what should be really organic relationships that arise from our created nature. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think I was thinking as um, Lance was talking also how it stifles human creativity and ingenuity when one doesn't have that freedom really to uh, work for oneself, one's family, mm-hmm. um, just the, uh, the creative spirit of the human person, I think, is stifled in a communist system. You know, I think when we talk about socialism, there are aspects where, as Catholics, or in Catholic social teaching, where we see the legitimate role of government in relationship to the economy. Mm-hmm. This laissez-faire kind of approach where what I guess we could call totally unregulated free market has problems. So you see criticism by the popes of certain where you know with rampant capitalism in which uh everything is about profit, uh, and that this that's the ultimate aim, even at the expense of other human goods. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if workers aren't given a just wage or it involves exploitation of countries or natural resources, harm to the environment, all those kinds of things. So, I think because of the common good, that it's not just about, you know, the ultimate aim is, not pro- profit's a good thing, obviously, but at what cost? So that kind of unbridled capitalism was very much criticized by John Paul II and by Benedict XVI and by Pope Francis today. So, there is an importance of of law, and so that uh, justice is served mm-hmm. so that's obviously a higher uh, norm so we're not talking about unfettered support of unfettered unbridled capitalism because that can fall into the same errors as communism in the end, hmm. uh, where it does harm to the common good and to the the dignity of people. So that's an interesting thing. It's very complex. When you think about social, you know, there's certain things, even in the United States, we think of ourselves as a capitalist society, and the market economy and the many good things about a market economy that, you know, it's, uh, however, you know, with those ethical guidelines and restraints that need to be there, we do have things like social security, in our country, mm-hmm. and I think the great majority of Americans would say that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a, uh, I guess, in a broad sense, uh, you could call it socialist. Mm-hmm. I mean, we call it social security. <laughs> right. It's right. It, it's to take care of the elderly and the infirm, which we would say is a good thing. Uh, and it was determined that something that we needed in our society, you know, at the time of of uh, Franklin Roosevelt, etc. So it does show that even as a capitalist society, we do see the importance of solidarity mm-hmm. with those who are in need, with the weak among us. So our country developed this system of social security. That's an example, I yeah. think, of maybe some flexibility in mm-hmm. understanding issues like this. Like some kind of a hybrid model, maybe. Yeah, but I think, you know, you don't want it to go so far, though, Into socialism, where the state takes over Mm -hmm. and develops like a welfare state. That is also criticized very much by Pope John Paul II in Centesimus Annus. So we would speak of limits to government involvement, uh, Mm -hmm. not uh, taking over because then it violates the principle of subsidiarity. However, in interests of solidarity, Things like Social Security can be a very good way to provide for our brothers and sisters who need it.
1: Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's take a break. And when we come back, talk more about uh, government, different types of government, the church's role in the government, uh, maybe get into universal health care and more right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. Brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services that save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop and our special guest, Dr. Lance Ritchie from the University of St. Francis. Been talking about different types of government, talked about socialism, talked about communism. Mentioned that there's no like church endorsed government model. Is that because there's no perfect form of government or it just hasn't been figured out yet? If there were like this perfect Would the church say we put our stamp on this or is the church just going to stay out of it no matter what for infinity? Well,
2: I would make a distinction between, you know, yeah, I mean, the church doesn't endorse a particular economic system or a particular political system, although Mm -hmm. it sees the good in obviously in um, the market economy or um, it sees the good in democracy. For Mm -hmm. example, the church is obviously very negative about socialism as it was understood as a denial of private property right to private property very negative about any the totalitarian systems of government which which stamp on human uh, freedom and liberty i would say the church has its teachings its moral principles that are to be guided in whatever system is being Mm -hmm. used but some systems are especially problematic if by their very nature they are against these principles sure
0: I would uh, echo the bishop there. I don't think the the church will ever put its stamp of eternal blessing on any given system because all political systems exist in particular times and places, and as situations change, technology changes, needs change, Mm -hmm. political systems have to adapt and change. What doesn't change is our nature as human beings, rational beings, embodied, created in the image of God, and seeking certain goods by nature to realize God's purpose for us. And so, as Bishop Rhodes said, any political system that fundamentally denies what we are as human beings or fundamentally impedes our ability to pursue these natural goods, the church can never embrace. But There are many different systems, many different possible systems, which could do that better or worse in any given situation. Theology doesn't attempt to preempt politics. I think theology attempts to inform politics with the underlying principles that it needs to respect if politics is to accomplish its purpose, which is human flourishing.
2: You know, uh, Dr. Rich, I have a question in that regard regarding um, communism, or at least – karl marx and the communist manifesto would one of the arguments obviously against communism be is it intrinsically atheistic mm-hmm. I, in other words it's i think there are communist uh, authorities where they do allow for religious freedom or have some christians who are part of it but in its pure form pure marxism didn't <laughs> what
0: was marx said religion is the opium of the people and certainly for marx marx was a convinced atheist and he would say Well, as you said, Mark said, What has been historically the purpose of religion? Uh, To tell people there's pie in the sky by and by, so put up with what you have right now. Put up with the injustice now so that God will reward you in the next life. And, you know, I think you have to grant him too often in history, religion is being used to justify injustice in (laughs) this world. I mean, if you look back at slavery, people used the Bible and Christianity to justify slavery. Hmm. Religion can be corrupted, but the correct response to corruption is to correct, not to reject. And so, for Marx, Marx was an atheist to his core, and he would say communism is by its very nature atheistic because religion by its very nature is an attempt to distract people from the economic injustice of the world and is used as a tool of the powerful to kind of subdue and keep quiet the people that they are exploiting. I fundamentally disagree with that, but Marx would fundamentally disagree with me. I have not seen any meaningful communist societies which claim to be religious in any way because ultimately religion says there is a higher authority than the state, mm-hmm. which is God, and it's it's hard to conceive of a communist society which would ever admit there's a greater authority than the state.
2: Yeah. And, you know, you talked earlier about reductionism. It's a reduction of the human person also by not recognizing the transcendent and spiritual dimension of the person. I was also wondering, uh, Dr. Ritchie, when we talk about capitalism and socialism, there's been a current in Catholic thought that I learned about when I – started getting interested in gk chesterton as a seminarian and i i started to devour all his books you know as many as i didn't read i haven't read all of them but most of them i have you've read a great deal (laughs) (laughs) i began with orthodoxy and that became one of my favorite all-time all-time books
0: well make sure you end with orthodoxy
2: (laughs) (laughs) um but but chesterton when he would get into economics and um He criticized uh, the socialism of his day and also uh, capitalism. And I don't remember if he coined the term or who coined the term distributism. Hmm. And I haven't studied it very much, but I've been kind of attracted to some of the uh, distributist ideas because it seems to uphold our t our principles of subsidiarity and solidarity and universal destination of goods and the common good hmm. you know i think of economic cooperatives and things like that trying to you know share more of the means of production and you know where there's people who come together for example and and uh, they own the the co-op and they pro it's enough profit, to take care of their families, etc. I mean, I'm simplifying distributism, but I'm curious what you think of that.
0: I ran across distributism in my uh, love for Dorothy Day. Uh, Distributism was a movement not just within Catholicism, but uh, across, I'd say, a lot of but not entirely left-leaning circles in the 1920s and 30s into the 1940s that really tried to find a third way between laissez-faire capitalism mm-hmm. and uh, some version of Marxism. And what it really proposed was a small-scale industry and art- and uh, artisanship, the belief that if we're to live in a human society where the individual is respected and rights are embodied it's just as big a threat when you have a huge factory owned by ten shareholders as when you have a huge factory owned by the state and they pushed for small-scale manufacture uh, agrarianism you know people farming working the land in many ways it's very romantic and idealistic <laughs> uh, uh, so and I think you know by the 1940s it had kind of run its course in the 60s with the hippies you saw kind of a I'd say generally a non-Christian revival of that with communes and and artisans. But what it is is an attempt to say the logic of the modern economy, mass production, uh, consumerism, kind of the endless production of standardized items for consumption – and where our life is, is spent building one product all day so that we can enjoy 100 different products in the evening hmm. uh, is not really worthy of what we are as human beings. And it, it tried to call us to a different vision of what society should be. Maybe it was doomed forever. If you want to read someone interesting, in the late 1960s and about early 70s, there was an economist, I believe he was British, E.F. Schumacher, and he wrote a book called Small is Beautiful. And what he did was, from an economic point of view, look around the world at co-ops and all these experiments in kind of non-mass-production economics, and he found a a lot of attraction to them. And interestingly, he converted to Catholicism at the end of his life. He died uh, shortly after his two big books were written, and he had converted to Catholicism out of it. But he did not come at it from a spiritual angle, but just from, I'd say, a a mid-century humanist angle. It seems very ideal. Uh, You know, all iPhones have to be the same, and all operating systems on your computer have to be the same. And we are so accustomed to mass production. And if something's handmade, it's something you put on a shelf. It's not something you use. (laughs) But – they would say that's part of our problem in a society we, we've created a lot of material wealth and a lot of spiritual poverty and and i, I have a certain attraction at that point today. yeah
2: <laughs> you know where else i see it the Focolare movement has does a lot to promote i think they call it an economy of communion but i think it's kind of in that distributist line again it 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 looks at um the importance of the smaller communities the importance of the family then that moves into the area of economy. And I think there are places um, where they have this model, this economic model in, in certain parts of Brazil and in Spain and places like that. But it it is a small movement, but it does seem to really respect the principles of Catholic social teaching. You know, I, I don't know, be interesting to see. And, and then this, you know, the promotion of, of small businesses is also I think an important part of our principle of subsidiarity so it's very interesting to I think even now to when we hear different political candidates with their economic or financial plans to kind of look at their platforms through the lens of Catholic social teaching mm-hmm. I think is something we need to do more of
0: well I think if you look at some of the current debates we have you you look and they talk about uh, you know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, uh, these three or four big tech companies, mm-hmm. and they've bought up all their competitors. I mean, they've accumulated enormous power, and it's simply being used to analyze every aspect of our online life as consumers so that they can sell us more products. And, you know, the, the privacy, which is you, which is inherent in human dignity the individuality that makes us who we are is all being lost and our and our economy seems to say well bigger is better and bigger is better and they broke up at&t almost 40 years ago We, we still have phone service we have multiple phone providers now i think the antitrust movement there for those who who do love capitalism and i think it's worked very well antitrust is an expression of i think a Catholic social principle that mm-hmm. ultimately the right of any individual to keep accumulating property has to be limited by is this individual's accumulation consistent with the larger social goods which we want to accomplish? It doesn't mean you can take their property away, but you can force them to uh, divide it in a way that it doesn't concentrate all the power in too few hands.
2: You know, that's another place where I think there is the legitimate role for government, for the state. Mm-hmm. The laws, antitrust laws, are important. I mean, when you have these huge corporations, it become very powerful. And the thing that I worry about is sometimes their power goes beyond, well, it's economic power, but then they start influencing values, social values, etc. And, you know, if they want to promote abortion, for example, mm-hmm. Um they have money they you know and they support po- certain political candidates i think that's where we see some right. rebellion of the people against some of these executives or, or whoever whose whose power is not only in the economic realm but they're having an influence on our culture right. that isn't always
1: positive All right. Well, let's take a break. And if you have questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Call or text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. And coming up, we'll talk more about different political systems, maybe universal health care, religious freedom, and more on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop and our special guest, Dr. Lance Ritchie. We've been talking about different political systems. Another issue that has been around for quite a while seems to be maybe some murmurs lately is liberation theology. Maybe we could start with a definition of liberation theology and then kind of talk about where it sits in today's world.
0: Well, a definition, uh, an off-the-cuff definition, because I don't have a book in front of me. Uh, Liberation theology refers to a whole host of theological projects, mostly in the 1960s and 70s and early 80s, that began in the Third World, where there was an attempt by theologians to marry Catholic social teaching, and the biblical prophetic tradition with radical political movements that were seeking revolutionary change in the social order mm-hmm. and to somehow make catholic teaching part of revolutionary political action kind of the origin of the term i think comes from gustavo Gutierrez, uh a theology of liberation written in 1968 mm-hmm. and that was right around the time of the uh Latin American Bishops' Conference in, uh, I think, I Puebla. Remember, uh, Puebla, where in light of the Second Vatican Council, they were calling for uh, social action in light of search teaching to address kind of the endemic poverty that beset Latin America. I think part of the impetus was this, was, I think, a recognition that Catholicism had failed to really consistently live out its principles. Latin America, from the time of the conquest until the late 20th century, for 450 years was almost completely Catholic and dominated by the Catholic tradition, and yet, by the late 20th century, you had some of the most persistent poverty in the world, and Hmm. these theologians asked the question, how can our church be teaching one thing and yet a society so shaped by the church? have these situations. It was a time of Marxist revolution, and quickly many of these theologians really became Marxist revolutionaries who also talked about Jesus, Mm -hmm. I guess, to put it simply. Uh, And that was very strongly condemned by the uh, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith under Cardinal Ratzinger, and I'd say by the time that Cardinal Ratzinger became Pope Benedict, We thought it was a settled question, but then under Pope Francis, who comes from Latin America, I think we've seen a revival of the question, had the church maybe in its desire to distance itself from these Marxist tendencies, maybe lost touch with some of the critique that was there that needed to be revisited?
2: Hmm. Yeah, Yeah, and I remember that time when it was uh, the critique that came from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Rejecting, for example, violence as a means to solve the problems of injustice and poverty or corruption. But also, there was a reductive uh, of what true liberation is about that the gospel message also, you know, primarily is about liberation from sin Mm. and liberation from. Uh, yeah, from sin and death. So that if the gospel was being reduced to a worldly thing that it's just overcoming, uh, it's it's just fighting against uh, social problems or fighting against poverty. No, the gospel's more than that. It's about liberation from, from sin. So I think there was an emphasis, a re-emphasis on the spiritual mission of the church. That being said, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be involved in the struggle for justice on earth sure. and and to for example overcome poverty and uh, oppose co- corruption etc mm-hmm. so there has to be a balance and uh, i think that that's where we're at today mm-hmm.
0: i i agree and i think in america we we're much more talking comfortable talking about the kingdom of heaven because we think about well that's after you die and you get all this good stuff and uh, but Most of the Gospels uh, speak about the kingdom of God, and that is a notion that God's order isn't just something you get in the next life, you know, uh, pie in the sky by and by, but rather it is a new set of relations among human beings. Overcoming sin is not just being saved. Hmm. Overcoming sin is living in a new way and creating new human relationships. And I think the church is always trying to strike that balance where We'll never realize that perfectly before the second coming, but if we set it aside as unimportant, we won't make it till the second coming. So, <laughs> uh, and and that prudential balance is always a little bit of a pendulum, and, and we see we see it swing in our own lifetimes. Yeah.
1: Good. Yeah. All right. Well, if you have any questions, you can ask them by going to redeemerradio.com/askbishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line two six zero. 436 9598, and our conversation on government, politics, separation of church and state continues right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop and our special guest, Dr. Lance Ritchie. Uh, Talked about so many good things. I wish we had two hours to continue this conversation, but uh, maybe we'll have to have a part two someday. One of the big things that keeps coming up right now, especially, I guess it has for the past maybe four years or so, talking about universal health care. And it seems like that might be coming from a little bit of the, the socialism that we've been talking about, is that something that the church would be in favor of or cautious against? Does it impede on some religious freedoms at some point? Or how does that Well, I think that's down? a good question. I mean, we believe as Catholics that health care
2: is a human right. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we would like universal health care. Where the debate comes is how. <laughs> okay. You know? Um, but, no, I mean, that's part of the dignity of the human person. Every, everyone has A right to health care. Even if someone doesn't have health insurance in our country and they have a serious health issue, they should be cared for. I mean, but it's how you do that. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the debate comes in. Now, when the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, was being debated, the reasons why the U.S. bishops uh, were against it was primarily because it did not have an exemption, uh, conscience right exemption. And that's really important that mm-hmm. we did not want our tax money to be used for things like abortion mm-hmm. or euthanasia or, or things that go against our uh, Catholic moral teachings. So we wanted to protect the freedom of conscience, but also of, of doctors and nurses and others involved in the healthcare profession. Mm-hmm. And because it didn't have that protection, conscience protection, religious liberty protection in the bill, we opposed it. Mm-hmm. We weren't opposing other aspects that tried to cover more people with health insurance. Uh, so that maybe somewhat answers your question.
0: Um, I would agree that th- there's nothing intrinsically wrong with universal health care as a Catholic principle. Mm-hmm. I, I think it fits with the common good, but I think Bishop said it very well. The, the instrumentality of it, I, I think for most people Our experience of government services usually is not as ideal as we would like them to be. When we talk about Medicare for all, as uh, someone caring for an elderly parent who's on Medicare, it's not as good as my insurance. Mm -hmm, And even at that level, uh, it's very hard for the government to sustain the expense of it. Mm -hmm. So, And when you try and address that issue, then you open a whole other nest of issues. It very quickly – gets into largely every area of our life. And at what point are we willing to surrender control over fundamental decisions about our own health care, fundamental decisions about our own money, our own economic and personal freedom to accomplish this common good. Just because we have an obligation to the common good doesn't mean there's always a good answer to any problem. What we have an obligation to do is to seek the best answer. And that once again, is a political debate. It's not Mm -hmm. a, It's not a absolute answer. It's always a prudential answer in a given cultural and economic environment.
1: I guess maybe to put a a cap on things here or try to, what is the church's role then in government and where do we draw the line to say, you know what, this is when we talk about separation of church and state, that's a whole nother can of worms. But at what point do we say, this is not... The church's role to get involved with this area
2: or yeah i mean i think in any of these public policy areas the church has an important role of ethical and moral teaching we come at these questions from the perspective of the gospel of jesus christ Mm -hmm. so we're not uh dictating uh systems but i think we're we're calling everyone to a higher level of of truth the truth about the human person the dignity of every human person and the common good and these other principles that we've been talking about. So, whatever system or whatever laws are being proposed or government uh, things, they should be held accountable. Mm -hmm. And I think the church is kind of a prophetic voice it's 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 bringing that moral perspective to these issues and is this whatever law or policy is being proposed does this serve the true good of the human person and humanity
1: all right well thank you so much dr lance ritchie for joining us today this has been enlightening my pleasure. Glad to be here. And thank you, Bishop. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. And
2: I hope we can have Dr. Ritchie back again. This was fun having someone to talk to besides you, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Although I enjoyed talking with you. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Kyle gets a three. Dr. Lance Ritchie gets a 10. <laughs> Kyle, you get a 10 too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen.
0: Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in
1: part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.